0: Thanks for choosing this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. As you'll hear mentioned in the podcast, this is our officially 200th podcast. It's also the last podcast in the Transition Foundational uh, Sermon Series that Pastor Dan's been preaching at New Heights. And so I hope you learn, grow, enjoy. Uh, This is pretty cool stuff. Obviously, this is pretty much the entire service here on the podcast today. God bless you as you listen.
1: the time change, so again, 4.30, not 5.30, um, and team, there will be a pizza party and cupcakes to follow. Okay. Alright, that's all I have. I got it. So you can figure that out. No. Yes. Tyler, will you pick a ticket, please? <gasps> pick a mommy's. Pick a mommy's. <laughs> <Okay, get mommies. laughs> Don't look, just pick one. They <laughs> <I> can't read. <laughs> <laughs> say. Sure. <See> <laughs> I have no idea. It says Carrie. It says Carrie Molly. It says yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, that
0: it's it's scribbled K, right? I can read it. That's all that matters. Actually, it looks like a V. <laughs> we have a
1: paper. Paper. Tony Brister.
0: Yeah. Uh, there, there, there are lots of places Tony Brister goes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Thank you to those that donated. We did have some leftovers, so it went very well. That's all I got. I did Mr. Flynn, will you pray?
2: Okay, there we go. I'm Father, and I Father to thank you for all that you've blessed us with. You've placed us in this time and place to serve you and love you. And um, so as we come here today, just, we ask that you move amongst us and touch everyone in here and draw us all closer to you.
1: And um, pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I'm you that. i just going to leave you
0: We come to that moment in time in our services where we normally ask ourselves how the Lord has been speaking to us. So we had a special incident that took place this week, and uh, Brother Tony Tate uh, had a word from the Lord, and it kind of led him to uh, create or construct a sort of an activity, and he's going to kind of go along as he's led by the Lord, and you may have, we may have to help him a little bit, uh, but at this time, I'm going to turn the floor over to our Brother Tony Tate.
2: In Christ, good to go. <laughs> so nervous.
0: Um, you can take the mask off so we can hear it good. Okay.
2: Yep. Uh, Psalms uh, 106, if you get a chance, just get a chance to read it. it was just, just real encouraging. Um, I'm just going to read just a couple verses, and then uh, I went to like James chapter 1. But, I mean, if I could, I'd read the whole chapter. If you get a chance, to read the whole chapter. But uh, verse 6 through 8 says this. Both we and our fathers have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. In verse 8, yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Amen. And the other one was in Psalms one 6. It's got 48 verses. So it's pretty long, but if you see the history of it, it's pretty amazing. And uh, 44 through 46, it says, Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held him captive. And then... James chapter 1, which is, which is one of my favorite verses. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Okay, so I guess it shows us. Okay, so it says, uh, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or, in the end, like changing, like shifting shadows. So, um, the other day I, uh, I had a talk with a a brother of mine, sure you're familiar who it is. But uh, when I was talking to my brother, I uh, I just like I started a kind of a shaky moment, like you know, uh, Lord, where do you want me to be? Where where would you have me? And um, when I found out just the heart at New Heights Fellowship and what it meant, I thought I would relay it back to all of us and how important it is. Like, cause I've been in memberships before, I used to call myself a, a church floater, not because I wanted to float, I just, like, I was helping out here, was helping out there, um, and that was just kind of the way it was. I didn't know, you know, if I'd ever sit in a church, and um, you guys know my story. Years ago, I sat in a church, and, you know, I went through a lot of hardships and stuff like that, but uh, I came back to the church. I first was here, was at New Heights, before that was Cedar Creek. But, anyways, when I had that talk, I heard about what it means to be a member here. And it was really cool. Like, I just want everybody to know, and that everybody would know this, is that the word membership here, I don't know if it's in the doctrine or indoctrinated, but it means a body part, a body member. Amen. Amen. Like, every one of us matters, every part of us is a body part. Like, literally, like, you could be the heart, you could be the toe, whatever. And even the inside really is the heart. All the outside parts can't do nothing if the inside's gone. You know, if if you would lose your heart, you know, everything's gone. You know, You, you can't move. Even people that have lost brain capacity, they, in comatose, they are still alive. But if you remove the heart, you remove the center, it's all gone. Everything's gone. So everybody here matter. Every person here has an amazing gift and an amazing talent. Right. And what I was just thinking of, and that's why I would say, you know, remind or redefine or refine who we are in Christ, who we're not, and who God is and, you know, who we're not. And encourage and re-encourage. You know, and you may already know this. You know, but it's just a, it's just a moment of re-encouragement. Or maybe you never heard this before. But when I was going back to those verses, you know, it said, "Yet for His namesake."
1: You know, when we,
2: when we toil and when we do all these things, you know, it's for His namesake. It's not for our own sake. He didn't do it for us. He did it for who He is Himself, Christ Jesus. And and when we live in a in a world, and you know, even hopefully in this podcast, I'm talking to somebody, We live in a self sufficient. Um, country where we feel self sufficient, but when you really break it down, we're not really self sufficient. I could give tons of examples. Ones I was thinking about when you put gas in your car. Yes, you put gas in your car, but where do you get your gas? Who pumps it? You know, who gets it for you? You know, when when you order something, you know who like where does the food really come from? From the from the fields itself, you know, from farmers, you know, people that work hard. None of not really do you have self-sufficient. Let's be actually, you know raised it by ourselves, did it by ourselves. But the fact is, and it's hard because when we live a life of self-sufficiency, we, we have this feeling that, you know, that we don't need each other. You know, that I, I do my thing, you do my thing, or they do too much and they do too less. But it's understandable, understanding. Not that it's okay. It's understanding because for his name's sake he saved them. In, in Israel, these guys were, you know, some of them were very self-sufficient. Not everybody, you know. He wasn't talking about sin as if everybody was doing wrong in this. It just meant that, you know, none of them were perfect. There were totally rebellious people. There was a generation that was going to get to know God more. There were, you know, there were leaders that didn't know they were leaders. There were people that, you know, that... Um, that didn't know who they were. You know, there there, there are people that are gonna become rebellious. I mean you, this was a million people like coming in, you know, and God's gonna sort them all out. That's just like us every day. And I don't think it's just a new heights at all churches we have that same aspect, you know, it's like, well, I don't feel like I'm neater. I don't feel like I'm going through this. And the thing is, it's for his name's sake right, that we do this that anybody does this. And then, in that next verse I was talking about, I love that he remembered his covenant.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I know, like you're saying, why well, I already know this, but that's the thing. It don't matter. It, it, like, you know, if you just know this, what are you going to do with it? But he remembered his covenant. Mm-hmm. Whether it was how, the, the Hall of Fun, you know, or what's coming up, the next event. We're doing this because if Christ Jesus didn't remember His covenant at the cross, if Christ Jesus didn't remember His covenant through many of histories, you know, through Israel, through through kings, through all this stuff, if if God would forget, you know, what He was going to do for people, that even today, that we can be ungrateful or bitter, and I don't think there's anybody out here on the face of the earth that's ever not had that problem. And we all have an ungratefulness to us, but that's the idea. If God remembers. His covenant. And James chapter 1 is what I really love, is that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen? Something I hope you think about, and maybe this wasn't for you, and it's not about for you, maybe someone at the podcast, you know, maybe someone needs to hear this. But do you know you're a gift? Do you know that your talents, your treasures, everything you do, God stored them in you before you even know him. That your name, if I had the chance, I would. And I've done it before. I'm not saying I do it this body, but just to, if you look up your name and you see the purpose that already who you are, like soldiers of sanctuary, they are soldiers day in and soldiers day out. I mean, they literally live who they are. You know, we got outreach, you know, where we're actually reaching out. And, and if you just see, you know, you, you, the fruit that we see, you know, it's not like a thank you where things are going great. The fruit is that where I've heard, you know, people that had no chance, at, that hearing the gospel, had no chance of even getting, a, a, you know, a, a chance to hear, it or food they couldn't get, that was received by the resources of New Heights. Amen. praise Jesus. And I think the hard part is, you know, and I could be wrong, but I, I don't think. You know, And this is my opinion. I'm no longer wanting God to speak but This is my opinion. Then I go back to that. But I think the hard part is, is we just don't realize how important we are. That's right. And we don't realize how important that we need each other. Right. I just don't think we can do this on our own. Right. And if we try to do this on our own, and I mean like own, I mean like not depending on each other. Because it, the one thing that this country is all about now, and I'm not saying all of them, is it's, you know, I don't depend on anyone. I depend on myself. But truly, if you see it day in and day out, and even here at New Heights, how we can encourage other, how we pray for each other, how we're just here for each other, you know, the praise team that, and, you know, I hear it all the time, that, that brings the music, that shares the word before it's even shared, you know, that people are ready for kids' lessons and, and inspire the kids for what's coming, you know, that God is really involved in all of this, And so, I just kind of encourage everybody. It's encouraged. You have to find that courage. You have to do it. No one can do it for you. And you can say, well, you know, I think we're doing it. But if we're doing doing what we say we're doing, then the thing is, the body's encouraged. The body remembers their first love. The body itself, it it, it can help each other in, in any shape or form. If we're not doing it, if we're not actually putting out some kind of effort, then the body will suffer. We'll still be a body. But the body will suffer. So, really, that was for New Heights. But here, just thinking about this anybody that has been in a church, has been in the body, get back in. Because I'm telling you right now, they're right here at this church and other churches. There are people that don't need your gifts, but will use your gifts. See, the enemy uses people. He don't care how talented you are or not. You know, this world sees, you know, you've got a great voice. You've got a great talent. We'll run your talents to the ground, and then we'll find the next person. That's right. You'll be used and abused, and we'll get the next group. We'll use and abuse, and then we'll get the next person. I mean, at work, we see people going left and right, left and right, and I'm sure you see it all the time. But when God instills your gifts, who you really are, who you say, who God says you are, you know, the, that is when your gifts are not actually being used. That's when your gifts, for the first time, or maybe a lot of times, that those gifts will be glorified for eternity. Because if it is, in all the stuff that we see, all the people have all the valuable treasures, all that stuff, you know, that the true thing is that their eternity, I'm not, not even going to get to hell in a second, but the idea is their eternity is that those treasures are nothing. They wasted all their treasures on earth. But what we do is we use these treasures and we we we, 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 we don't waste it. We use these treasures and they're stored up in heaven for us. That the fire, when, when we meet the glory of God, when we meet God Himself, and we'll be once again in relationship with Him. There's no more trying to figure this out. You know, none of that gets burned up. We, whatever we put in here, you know, it will bring Him glory someday. He's already glorified it. Man. So it does, man. And what I heard the other day is it's true. You know, you just can't be okay being okay. That we could do so much more. Come on out. I'm not just saying this because you know I, I put my foot in this, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna get my foot out. But I also think there's people out there, even listening to this, that have a hard time like that too. They're not ready to put their foot in because they don't know what they can do. But I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm pleading with you. Those out there that can hear me, it it doesn't matter what what you've done, what you do, you know, in the high fives and people, you know, what you've gone through, no matter what, the greatest recognition is when you get home and they say, God says, well done, faithful servant. Everything you've done for God will absolutely be recognized by the one that gave it to you in the first place. I'm going to pray here in a second, but the thing is. Even right now, I, I feel like there's so much more I could have said, but the, the thing is, you, you know, you, you can speak this, but it just depends on the, you know, what the body's gonna do. And I really think that all of us together, man, if we just all really just reach out, you know, we, we can carry less loads and we can carry less things and we can work together, We, we we could be so we could be uh, so dynamic. And you say we're already dynamic, but the thing is, when we see broken and tiredness and weariness, you know, there's always going to be a spiritual war. There's no question about it. That's right. The enemy is going to be after us, whether you know the body's in store or the body's suffering. It don't matter. He's coming. He, can, the, God's given absolutely all authority and His authority to do whatever He wants when God says it's okay. So He's coming. But no matter what, it's not about the body doing more. It's about how strong this body can be. Because with the body that's strongest on the inside, no matter what we go through, we can take the hits, we can take the shots, and we can reach out to each other. We can be exactly what the body says. And I'll tell you, there's no way that one person can do this, it has to be all of us or nothing. Because that's truly what the body does. The body doesn't reject anything. It goes, you know, it may, it may feel like you do more work than me, you know, this, but it doesn't matter. The body does exactly what that part has to do. You know, and for anybody out there, and I'm finishing with this, you know, out there on the podcast, if you feel like you were, that you matter and you need to do something, then go out and do it. Go out there and do it. Come back home. The prodigal son, the whole idea about the prodigal son is that he wasted his talents, wasted his gifts. He thought he knew what he was doing. Uh, he, and when famine came, he went back and then found out who his father really was. Who he really was. Who he should have never left. So come back home. Come back to church. Come back to a brother. Come back to a sister. Get yourself reunited, because I'm telling you, united we stand, divided. We're going to fall, but united we can take a stand. So, glorious Father, I just come before you right now. It's a prayer that anybody would pray. Lord, you're a protector. God, you protect us from false hope, false truth, false love, and this world is, without you, it's false. And it doesn't take away from what you spoke into existence, humanity, the earth, the creation, the animals, the light, the heavens, all that stuff. But without you, it's not as glorious as it should be. And without Christ Jesus, apart from us, we can do nothing. John 15. So we ask that you protect us and also that we protect ourselves as you deliver us and you save us, as you rescue us that we also realize that we have that effort. We have to rescue ourselves, that we have to go do this. We have to go out and actually put out the effort because we're not sponges. God, we truly are yours, and we truly are what? servants, sons, and daughters. Even over the little kids, as I see such great blessings over here, though it, when we see it at home, it doesn't look so great, but the fruit that's being bare The humbleness, the humility, the wisdom, even over my kids and my family. And I see, wow, them able to repent and recognize that there's a wrong and a right. What amazing gifts that this generation has in store if your return is not soon. If not, this next generation that literally can grow with you could be the next step of watching it. But till then, here we are. We are the fathers and, and the mothers of this generation. Husbands and wives of this generation. Um, ready to help out this generation. And we are this generation. So we ask, God, that you help us. Because that's the thing, Lord, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. We think we can. That's the biggest thing is I got this, I do this, I do that. But really, where does our strength come from in the first place? Where do we get this goodness, disabilities. And it only comes from the one who was always glorious, who was always good. Christ Jesus suffered on that cross, righteously, where we all unrighteously suffer every day. But we are right because of Christ Jesus. No way will we ever be right and be in eternity with you because of your righteousness. There's nothing we have done to prove ourselves worthy. We are worthy Say to myself, you know, in here, I am worthy of hell and I am unworthy of heaven. But Christ's worth at the cross is the reason I can even stand here today.
0: You are worthy. Christ Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Thank
0: you, So we have uh, tithes and offerings and a couple songs of worship. That the children be dismissed. I ask uh, God to continue to lead in our services today. We you want to just mention, Brother Tony mentioned the podcast a couple of times. Today is the 200th, will mark the 200th podcast of New Ice Fellowship Baptist Church. That's kind of a momentous occasion. 200 podcasts as of when this podcast right now comes up online. Hmm. Let us worship the Lord and glorify him for that and all the other things he's doing in our midst because he's a good guy. <laughs> Christian who is attempting to serve the Lord and has heard those voices and I love that song (laughs) I love that song because I've heard those voices and I think uh, I I like it says uh, I choose to listen and believe um, to the voice the voice of our Savior the voice of our Lord um, the Holy Spirit in us Um, pretty awesome. As we look at today, a couple of momentous occasions are occurring. This is not only the 200th podcast, which includes podcasts going back uh, four years, and um, sermons and full services since COVID. We didn't used to do full services, but since the COVID thing hit and people aren't able to come here, we've got full services, including our prayers, our inspirational moment time, our songs all on there, and people have been listening to them. <clears throat> the New Heights podcast has been the top featured podcast on Podcast garden now for three months running, which is pretty cool. Um, and so that I don't know what happens with that. I have no idea. it's in the Lord's hands. I'm not worried about it. nobody's trying to get famous. We we'll let that be in the hands of the Lord, but it's our two hundredth podcast, and we'll be promoting that, letting kind of people know that. and we've had people signing up uh, off the like the people that we deliver groceries to, people that come here to the pantry um, and stuff like that. if they if you run into somebody that says, "I, I just can't get to church for x reason." They can go online and listen to the service. It isn't the same as we talked about last week of of being here, but it's something. It's pretty cool. Um, And people who want to do it can do it, and that's pretty cool too. Um, But also today is the last sermon in the Transition Sermon Series. Remember, we started that, and we've been doing it now uh, for about three months, and uh, we are at the last sermon, and so... I hope you've been listening. If you have not been here since the beginning, I'd encourage you to listen to those podcasts. If you want notes from those sermons, if you'd rather have the Clip Notes version, I can get them for you, that kind of thing. Uh, but really, this sermon has all been has been about um, moving deeper in Christ, getting the actual teachings of Jesus at a deeper level. And So some people might have choked a little bit along the way as God uh, led us to talk about some difficult concepts, and sometimes I do a lot in one session, um, and so there was a lot to... S- to observe and to swallow and I think put into practice. And this one is more of that. <laughs> it is, it's not a particularly easy thing either. Um, but the good news is we took off one big bite of it last week. We talked about the Lord's table last week. And that's a phrase that's near and dear to me because not only does it talk about the Lord's Supper, but it talks about the feeding point where the Lord is feeding us and growing us as Christians, growing us as a church body, as a church people, and as individuals. And and so that we sort of took that out and handled it separately last week. And then this week, we're going to talk about then, of all the things that we have looked at, and again, remember whatever you actually remember, of all the things that we have looked at, we're going to talk about that, how God wants us to put into practice those things and what that actually looks like. Obviously, I am not going to preach the whole Bible today, and so there is much more application in the Bible than we can talk about in one, uh, one Sunday sermon, and we have done a lot of that. We've been doing it for years, and we'll do it again um, but today the author of Hebrews takes us into what it actually looks like then to be a body eating at the Lord's table. What does that actually look like receiving from the Lord and putting into practice how you live for Jesus? Now remember, we're, we're on the far side of the transition, so if you were dull of hearing or if you had lost your way uh, at some point, then some of the things I say today are going to be hard for you to understand um, or they might be a challenge for you to enact those things. And so I would ask you right now to just kind of say in your heart, Lord, help me to understand. Let me repent, turn to you from anything that's distracted me, anything that's tempted me, kept me from being there. And and then listen to what God would have you to get out of what I'm about to say. It's a lot. Um, It's really, if we get through all of it, it's really a lot. Okay? And it's going to go by fairly quickly. So you're going to have to absorb. Or if you're a note taker, take notes. Uh, Or if you're a mental note taker, then make a mental note of anything that pops up that God seems to say to you, hey, pay attention to that, um, and then go back and study it in depth and put it in practice in your life, because it, it is a lot, okay? All right, before we actually go to the chapter, I want to just do a quick illustration of something that's going to be really important by the time we're through. I want to talk about simple choices, simple choices. So you get out of bed in the morning, and you have to decide what to put on. How do you decide what to put on? Don't ask, this is a rhetorical question. Each person does it differently. I want you to think of for a second. How do you decide what to put on for the day? You reach for a snack. How do you decide which snack? You already know it's going to be healthy or it's not, depending on what your, what your preferences are. But which healthy snack or which unhealthy snack? When the waitress stops the table and says, uh, will you be having dessert today? And you decide in yourself, oh, yeah, I think I will have dessert today. How do you choose which dessert you're going to eat. When you are driving down the road and you can, you're going to a store that you know exactly where it's at and you know that there are two ways you can get there and both will get you there in approximately the same amount of time, how do you choose which one you take? Obviously, in every one of those decisions I just listed for you, there are mitigating circumstances. There are additional circumstances. So for example, if you were coming from the south end, going to, to Walmart on Navarre two weeks ago, would you, come, would you have come down Navarre? No, because the overpass in Navarre, and I-280 was closed, right? If you knew that, you wouldn't have it unless you were like me and forgot and then you get stuck in the traffic and have to go way around. I did that once. But the point is, that's a mitigating circumstance. So you would go over and come down Star, you would go down Woodville and take a risk at the blue light uh, down there Let's see if there's a train down there or whatever. The point is, there are mitigating circumstances about everything. But assuming there are no mitigating circumstances, and it just doesn't really matter. You know, you're going to take a 25-calorie sweet, and they basically both taste the same or whatever, and you're going to grab one or the other, and you don't really care. Do you just kind of blindly reach, and whatever winds up in your hand? Is that how you do it? And then if you notice in the middle of that that there's a mitigating circumstance, does that change your choice? you reach for it and you go, oh, wait, uh, this one's got coconut it. And I really don't, I don't feel like coconut right now. So you put that one back and get the one that doesn't have coconut, right? Because you just had a feeling or you just, some circumstance changed and that changed the choice, even though you'd begun with just a flippant reach. Now you've decided there is a mitigating circumstance. Okay. So I want you to bear that in mind then, because all of the points of the sermon, when we get there are essentially choices. They're not the choice that you're thinking of because remember, we're on the other side of the transition. So I'll explain the deeper meaning of the choice that we're going to make when we get there because we're passed into the deeper teachings about uh, that Christ would have us to see as we live in this day. Okay? But each one is basically a choice. Okay. Now, grab your Bibles if you would, take a little breath with me, maybe for the first time ever, or just because you know this is going to be a good word from God in the last sermon, the 200th podcast, whatever, and give me an amen as we go to Hebrews chapter 13. Yeah. Amen. And Yahtzee. Awesome. Alright, Hebrews 13. Again, a couple of these verses we tackled last week, uh, so we won't have to hound them today, but we are going to read uh, Hebrews 13, 1 through 17, our text for the day. It says, let love of the brethren continue. Now I'm not going to get into it right this second, but you understand in the Greek, that's exactly three words. There are three words there in that, in that verse in the Greek. And two of them are the same. Meno, Meno, Philadelphia, Meno is what that verse actually says. We'll come back to it in the points. Okay. Menno, Philadelphia, Meno. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So while you're letting love of the brethren continue focusing on the people that you're supposed to be with, your brothers and sisters in Christ, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And of course, the author is referring to many occurrences in the Old Testament and probably throughout all of our lives where we have entertained angels without knowing it. Dealing with somebody that we just didn't know, and it was actually an angel, and we didn't know it was an angel, and then how you treated them reflects on you and on your relationship with God, and frankly, on God. Verse 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. And so, understand that you can't divorce the first part of that verse, remember the prisoners, from the second part of that verse. If you said this, remember the prisoners, for you also are in the body, you would realize he's talking about Christians who are trapped now, probably literally Christians who were in jail, probably for their faith or persecuted or whatever for their faith, but there can be other kinds of prisons, right? So remember those Christians who are part of the body and, he's, and the author's talking about the body that eats at the same table. So our church, the people that are our church, New Knights Fellowship Baptist Church, when some of our Christian people wind up in prison one way or another, we can't forget them. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. We should remember as if we... So when they're in a difficult spot and they're trapped, we should remember them. And by remember, that means take care of them. We should take care of them and have relationships with them just the same as if we were in prison with them. Verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And this particularly comes up in this train of thought because your wife or your husband could be in prison or... You, you could be loving someone who's in prison or entertaining a stranger or after loving a brethren and thereby forget about your spouse, right? You could go after the church and be part of the church and kind of ignore the marriage bed. But that would be wrong, wouldn't it? According to this verse, you can't do that. It has to be honored. And it should be honored amongst all. And I, I teach pretty deeply on this when I do marriage Bible study. But the bottom line is it takes a lot of intentional choices to truly honor the relationship between a man and a woman. You have to really work hard to do that. Okay, Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. That's just about not having lust, not ha- having adultery, not talking about your spouse and the intimate things that might occur between you with others, things like that. He even, the author goes on to say, for fornicators, because fornicators, those are those who misuse sex in any way, and adulterers, those who... Uh, lust after another when they're not married to them or who have a relationship outside marriage or who have a relationship with somebody that's outside their marriage, which would be a relationship outside marriage. Adulterers, he says, God will judge. Okay, Which is interesting because, again, we're talking about Christian folk. This is on the flip side of the transition. We're talking about Christian folk. And if you... As a Christian, are married, and you then go and lust after somebody else who is not your spouse. You have committed adultery, according to Jesus. Not my words, but Jesus' words. And it says you will be judged, which is harsh. Because the whole point of Christianity is that we will not be judged that way. right? So don't risk that, is what he's saying. Don't, don't go back there. If you're a for, you can't be a fornicator and an adulterer and a follower of the Lord, is basically what the author is saying. Verse 5, let your character be free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, for He Himself has said, "I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you." So that we confidently say, "I'm going to stop at the comma." Okay, so basically, we're not supposed to be desirous over money, and I would submit to you that means desirous over the control of money, or the desirous over the things that money can purchase, or whatever. Um, if you're a saver, really heavy-duty saver, and you scrimp and save, and I have had that problem in my life. I've been, in fact, I've, I've God has taught me on a number of occasions about this topic because I, I, I'm such a penny pincher that I would I literally go out of my way a, a long distance to save a little bit of money. And that's, that's something that's in my flesh. Realize that you have the same problem as a person who spends constantly. So you don't get to go, well, you're a spender, I'm a saver, I'm better. Because the problem is in your desire to control the money. Okay? It does not say money is the root of all evil. We won't go there and read it, but just trust me, it doesn't say that. It says the pursuit of money is the root of all evil. And so wanting to be in control of the money, that's the problem. Whether you're a spender, and so you want to be in control because you feel like you're in control of it when you're spending, or you're a saver and you want to be in control because you feel like you're in control when you're saving it, either way, don't let your, your character have that as part of it. Don't let your character include you not being content over the way money is or what's happening, right? And and I'll come back and talk about this a little bit more in the points. And he says, the author says, why? And it says, God said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Meaning God's always going to provide for you. He's always going to be with you. If you have that money, can't buy that. So why worry about money? So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what shall man do to me? So in other words, there is a a moment in time which you should be able to very solidly, remember confidence is, is that ability to stand out proudly for what you believe in. You should become a spectacle in the way you trust God. You trust God so much that people look at you and go, that person's a freak they trust God so much. Right? How can they not be afraid in this moment? How can they not be uh, depressed when that's going on or whatever? And, you sh- and people should look at you and go, that's weird. And you go, it's okay. I'm not, it's not that I'm weird. In my flesh, I would be terrified. But in Christ, because of Jesus, that's why I'm like this. And you point to God. Okay? So that's what that confidence word means there. We confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word to you, and considering the result of their conduct. In other words, see how they did? See how it worked out? Remember that body of witnesses back in chapter 12? See how it worked out when those people stood up for what they believed in. They followed God truly and earnest. The results were they were blessed of God, they were taken care of, by God miraculously showed up, God took them to heaven when they died. Some of them God took to heaven before they died, which is pretty cool, right? See the result? And imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. Amen. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. So while you're doing all of this, be careful not to run afoul of some idea that somebody's got. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And there's an interesting uh, word transition there, but basically he's talking about he kind of gets off on the topic, or the author gets off on the topic of talking about food, sacrificed to idols, but notice that it's something more too. If you get into the word food there, it's that which sustains you, not just physically, but also emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually, right? So it's a little bit deeper idea of food that he's talking about. So these things, they might taste good to you. They might go, oh, this is cool for a while. This lets me not do what I don't want to do. It lets me do what I want to do, right? And you get off on that. That's those varied and strange teachings through which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. Those who got wrapped up in false teachings of any kind that seemed to feed them, they were not benefited. Verse 10. We have an altar, this is where we talked from last week, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place in the uh, by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. So the bodies that suffered for the sin of the people were burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that his, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Okay, remember they took him out there to the hill at Calvary and they crucified him. And verse 13 says, Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp. And this phrase is really important, and we'll come back to it. Bearing his reproach. There's a question as to whether or not we have any burdens to bear in Christ. You understand? So we all talk about giving our burdens over to Jesus, and he takes care of it, you know. There's a question about whether we have any burdens to bear. And here it says that we should go out to him outside the camp and bear his reproach, which one might say is a burden. 14. For here we do not have a lasting city. So right now, this is not lasting. What you're dealing with right now is not lasting. So that's why we're supposed to go out and bear the reproach because what's, what's right here right now is not lasting. But we are seeking the city which is to come. Verse 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So this is the job that we are given. Through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. You can't give money uh, as a sacrifice. You can't give... Animals as a sacrifice, but you can give a sacrifice of praise to God. And then it says, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. You should always be giving thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So now we see we have three kinds of sacrifices on the list. We won't dwell on this too long right now. First one is praise to God. Second one is doing good. Third one is sharing. Okay, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your soul as those who will give an account. It's interesting that the author says, Obey them, and then the author says, This is why you obey them. They keep watch over your souls as one who would give an account. Then goes on to say, Let them do this. Let them watch over your souls as one who would give an account with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. So look at the math in that little section there, and then we're done with the verses for the day. Okay? Your leaders, your church leaders, those who look over you, at, and, it's, and it's, this, again, remember, is about those who eat at the same table. So this isn't Pastor John that lives in South Dakota. right? And so you, you literally do not have a responsibility to put pastor in front of the name of anybody you meet who's a pastor, the reality is, biblically speaking, you only have one pastor, and no one else is a pastor except the pastor of your church. Okay? That doesn't mean you disrespect them. So you can still call them brother or sister, and you can call them pastor if you really want to, but but the, the fact is you really only have one pastor. Same thing with the deacon, right? You go to another church, and you run into a this is Deacon Bob, right? Hey, hello, Deacon Bob. You do not have to refer to Deacon Bob as a deacon because Deacon Bob is not your deacon because he doesn't eat at the same table as you do. Okay? He's not at the same table. But, that being said, inside your body, you're to obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they keep a watch over your soul as those who would give an account. This is what they do. So then it says, let them do it with joy. Let them do that job with joy, not with grief. Listen to the last part. For this would be unprofitable for, for you right? Not for them. It doesn't say for them. It doesn't say for your pastor or for your deacon or for a leader in the church that you're in, that it would be unprofitable for them, even though it seems like it would be unprofitable. But remember, we're not building a city here. We're not after a city here. We're after a city there. Yeah, I'd love to do my job as a pastor with no uh, discouragement and so on. Uh, But the bottom line is, I'm not building a city here. I have a city there, right? So it's up to you for your benefit to respect and obey because they have the job of watching over your soul. So you should let them do that with joy and without grief because that's profitable for you or to do so if they had to do it with grief, that would be unprofitable for you. Okay, so we're through the text, Hebrews 13, 1 through 17. We are not done with our Bibles by any means if you're one who likes to follow along, especially writing your Bible and so on. Okay, here we go. First point of the day. This is really huge to me. It's Menno, Philadelphia Menno. It's that first verse: "Let brotherly love, let love of the brethren continue." And your verse. I'm guessing, if you don't have a New American Standard Bible in front of you, the majority of them translate it differently. That ought to be a cue, That ought to be a clue to you. Why, why is it translated? Differently? It might say, um, "Love the brethren," or "Continually love the brethren," or "Let brotherly love continue." Right? Because the words are meno, Philadelphia, meno, in that order in the Greek. Now, the word meno means for something to remain or abide or continue. We've done this once before some months ago. We talked about things remaining, abiding, or continue. All right? So we, uh, um, Ariana planted seeds and grew flowers at our house on the windowsill in a little pot that we painted together. And this, the flowers began to grow up. And they got these little cute little green stems on them and the thing, they never became a flower, but they got the little leaves and stuff. And, and unfortunately, we went away on a trip and we forgot to do anything about making sure the flowers had water and we came back and the flowers died. For about six months after the flowers died, up until yesterday, in fact, yesterday, Ariana came up to me and said, Daddy, I think I'm going to stop watering my pot because I'm pretty sure there's no more flowers in it. Okay. And I said, yeah, we're going to have to get some more seeds. All right. So she came back on the trip. The flowers were gone. The pot was not gone, the dirt was not gone, but the flowers were gone, and because there were seeds there in the first place it could have blossomed into something, but they did, and they did for a while. Now she was still watering an empty pot. Nothing remained. Okay? So that is for to abide is for something to remain in there, okay? To continue is for something to go on, right? If the flowers had continued to grow, the flowers would have continued to remain in the pot. All right? Let brotherly love continue. Let the love of the brethren continue. Menno, Philadelphia, Menno. Flip in your Bibles, if you would, briefly, if you're you're doing so. And we're going to go to 2 Peter. Peter's got some interesting words about uh, this topic. And I think I'll let him speak for me and I think for the Lord today. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. Peter says this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. In other words, God God, through Jesus is literally taking care of everything. He's given you everything you really need. Verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, you have become something more than what you were before. You have become a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, and in other words, because this is all true, because God has given you everything you needed, and through Jesus you have become a partaker of the divine nature, escaping corruption... In other words, you're not falling apart anymore. You're not a piece of junk anymore. You're very useful to God now because you have the divine nature in you. And you escaped it. That that corruption is in the world through lust, it says. For For this reason also, applying all diligence. In other words, get your butt busy. Do some work. Put in some activity. He says, in your faith, supply moral excellence. Stand up and be counted. Be honest. Be strong. Be true. Moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, know something, learn something, have something worthwhile explaining to somebody else. And in your knowledge, self-control. Make some choices for crying out loud. Discipline yourself. Step away from stuff that you shouldn't have anything to do with. Self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. Continue. Don't stop. Don't let life beat you down. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. Godliness, by the way, is just being more like God and doing the things God would have you to do. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. By the way, that brotherly kindness love thing right there, that's Philadelphia. So after all of that, after we work through moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, Kindness, now Philadelphia. And how did we get there? We got there because we received part of the divine nature. We became, in a sense, more like God. And we're supposed to be growing more like God all the time. Supply godliness, right? For if these qualities are yours, these things that were on that list, they're yours, and are increasing... A lot of times over the years, we've talked about being a mature Christian. And people have told me so-and-so is a mature Christian. I just really almost don't believe in the concept. I think the Bible does not teach being a mature Christian. I think being a mature Christian, by definition, is being a maturing Christian. I think we all have a long way to go. If you live long enough, you have a long way to go. And the further you go with the Lord, the more you'll realize you don't know. (laughs) The more you'll realize you got to learn. The more that you'll realize that it's possible for you to do. And for Him to do in you. But this is what it says. For if these qualities, those were on that list, are yours and are increasing, they render you, the qualities render you, they make you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, what a waste it would be to have the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to know that Jesus died on the cross for you to know that you have been called to live for him who died for you and to be found just a waste of flesh. What a terrible tragedy that would be. And how to avoid it? These qualities and these qualities increasing ensure, they render you, they make you not possibly useless. Verse 9 says, For he who lacks these qualities, in other words, if you don't have these things that were on that list at all, in any measure, or any one of them, or if you had just one of them, you say, I don't know anything. Or uh, you're supposed to be persevering and continuing, pressing on to what you're supposed to be doing, but you're quitting on a regular basis. Or you lack godliness. You know you're not living for the Lord. You're not doing what's right. You're lying. You're cheating. You're stealing. You're tricking. You're manipulating. You're lusting. Whatever it is. If you lack godliness, if you know you lack one of those traits, this is what he said. This is what the Peter wrote. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You forgot that you were set free, that you could set aside all that mess that you were. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. This is how God's going to give it to you. That's the pattern. Menno, Philadelphia, menno. Let love for the brethren continue. Does anybody here remember, maybe there's a marriage Bible study person in uh, the group, and you remember the, the, the kind of love that Philadelphia love is? Does anybody remember er what Eros love is? That one's pretty easy er because Eros is where we get our word erotic from. Eros love is physical love. Man, that's nice. She's nice or he's nice. That's how a lot of relationships start out, but they're not good relationships unless they become some other kind, right? Then there's agape love. Does anybody remember agape love? Agape love is that self-sacrificing love that gives its all. That's the kind of love that really should be present in a marriage. When you're and a husband and wife love each other, they say, It's more important to me, he says, It's more important to me that she's healthy, happy, cared for, protected, etc. It's more important to me that those things are true than it is that I am happy, than it is that I am healthy, that I am protected, or that I am cared for. It's more important. So a husband begins to take care of his wife and make his wife's things the most important things and the the wife turns around does the same thing and she makes his things the most it's more important that he's happy healthy cared for protected right so that man steps up with a gun and they're wrestling to see who gets to get in front that's but of course the man wins that wrestle, most likely, right? But the point is, that's what agape love is. Now brotherly love is a choice between somebody it's it's not like I'm gonna ever have intimacy with this person. It's not like I'm ever gonna kiss this person or French kiss this person or hold their hand or hide in the closet with them. It's not that kind of love. This is the kind of love where a man and a woman or a a man and a man or a woman and a woman stand up next to each other and they form a wall against the force of darkness. And one begins to waver and the other one holds them up. It's the kind of love that when we get hit, we get hit. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're supposed to allow to remain and to abide and to continue. Notice, remain, abide, and continue. What is the nature of those verses? Where is the beginning? If we're supposed to allow it to remain, abide, and continue, when did it begin? Already. Listen to me. If you don't love your Christian brothers and sisters, you probably aren't saved and don't have any. Because at the moment, somebody in this room who is actually a Christian got saved, They should have fallen into brotherly love or sisterly love with everybody that eats at the same Lord's table as them. We love these people. Now, loving isn't always pleasant. Sometimes you've got to work out your difficulties. There are hardships. Sometimes people do things you don't like. Sometimes you've got to practice accountability. And you go and you say to them, look, I see what you're doing. You you need to repent and turn back to the Lord because that's not good for you, what you're doing. God will stop it. God will not be happy. God will be displeased, and there might be wrath to come, and, and you got to say those difficult things sometimes. But if you don't, it's because you don't love them, and if you don't love them, you have to question whether or not you were saved, because that's when it started. It, sa- it started when you became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that person became your brother or sister, not in the flesh, not born from the same mother. Brothers fight; Cain killed Abel. He didn't just get mad at him; he killed him, and it's been happening. Right? Joseph's brothers threw him in a well and sold him into slavery. It's been happening all the time, brothers. And, and if you got a brother, you say, I will stand up for my brother, and I will nothing stop me from protecting, caring about, I would take a hit for my brother. If that's the kind of love for you have your bro, your biological brother, then I say, awesome. That's the way it should be. And then the Christian love is one step more. If your brother is a brother who is a Christian, Then there's nothing more. You should love them because that's your mother's son or or if you're a woman, that's your mother's daughter and then you love them because now they are literally in your spiritual family as well. And we sacrifice ourselves to ensure that the other parts of the body function. It happens all day long in a human body, but we can't figure out how to make it happen in a Christian body because we're so busy taking care of our human body, we can't make it work in, our, in somebody else's body, in somebody else's relationship. I see it in the young people. They go, oh, I can't wait to see my friend. Or I can't wait to see my, my nephew. Or I can't wait to see my aunt. Or I can't wait to see Mr. So-and-so because I want to give him a piece of candy. I want to give him a piece of paper. I want to give him a pencil. I want to say something kind. I want to get a hug. They're yearning for the next time they can be together because they want to be an encouragement. They want to see the smile on that person's face because they are living in their innocence, brotherly love. And that's what we're called to. And the author of Hebrews is saying... Let it remain. Stop squelching it. I know you got problems. I know you're going to run into somebody in the church who's going to treat you bad, and you're going to you're going to be like, "Why they treat me like that?" I have had people say things to me that in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our church, and and in churches that I've been before, that you would go. If anybody ever said anything that, that to me, I would literally want to rip their face off. And that's what's going to happen in the church. Let's get ready for it. And what is your job when that happens? Let brotherly love continue. How do you do that? How do you let brotherly love continue when the other person is behaving not like a brother? It doesn't say if they behave like brothers. It doesn't say that. If they're not behaving like a brother, then practice Matthew 18 accountability and eventually, if they don't repent, get them kicked out of the church so you can stop practicing brotherly love with them. It's your only out. You have to love them despite their idiocy. You have to love them despite their weakness. You have to love them despite their laziness. You have to love them despite their distracted nature. You have to love them despite the words that they use that make you feel bad. Let brotherly love continue. Don't squelch it. And what Peter said to us is that because of that, if we do that, that is how you ensure, that is how you are rendered ready to go into the kingdom of God. Let brotherly love continue. In 1 Peter, he writes about it as well. This won't take long, but we're going to go look at it briefly. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. And it, uh, Verse 17 says, And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves, if, if you address as Father, if God is your Father... Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I just want to hear him saying, For crying out loud! (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He's like, It's the blood of Christ! Verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So from the dead and gave, I'm sorry, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls, listen to this. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding Word of God. God can do this in you. God has paid the price to do this in you. To give up all that you are and all that you have if it is so necessary to love the brothers and sisters in Christ who sit at the table with you. Menno, Philadelphia, Menno. The next time you want to get mad at somebody in the church... I want you to remember these words, Menno, Philadelphia, Menno. It's interesting, isn't it? Menno, Philadelphia, Menno. You know why? Because the Menno is let it re- remain, abide, continue, and he said it twice: once before the Philadelphia, and once after. Where's the emphasis? It's not on the Philadelphia. It's on the remain, the abiding, the continuing. Because that's our job. Our job is not to provide the brotherly love. It is to remain. Continue and abide the brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. Second point. Skip down a little bit further in the passage that we read in Hebrews. It says, being content. Remember that? It says, don't lust after, don't covet after the money. And it says, being content. Had an interesting thought as I was thinking about this. Um, Some folks are discontented fairly regularly over money. That's what it's about, right? I didn't get paid enough. I worked in management in some sense. Now I'm the director of the Life Station and the pastor of New Heights, but I have worked in management in some sense for uh, 20 years, over 20 years, uh, coming up on 30 years. Wow, I'm getting old. 30 years I've been working in management. And one of the early principles of management I heard was money can only be a demoralizer. So you never get people to feel good by giving them more money, more than you can by taking away less money. If you give somebody a dollar an hour raise, they're going to be happy when they hear about it and then they're going to live their life accordingly and it's all going to be spent and they're not even going to think about it for the weeks and months coming ahead. They're not even going to think about it at all. They only had a few moments, oh cool, I got a raise and that was basically it. Now try taking somebody away a dime off their hourly wage and their morale will drop and for days, weeks, months, or years, they will debate with themselves, why did they take that dime? What am I, a piece of dirt? It could be $50 an hour and you drop into forty nine ninety, and they go, what took my dime? What is the whole point of that? Was I, was I bad? They hate me? Whatever. Looking for a new job because you took their dime. People get discontented about money, but they shouldn't. Money is not a source of contentment nor a source of discontentment. You say, well, if I don't have any money, I can't buy food. That makes me discontented. Then it's a lack of food that actually is making you discontented, right? If I don't have any money, I can't buy clothing. It's a lack of clothing. that's actually? If I can't pay for rent, I don't have a place to live. Then it's a lack of a place to live that's really the problem, right? Money is not now that makes a person content nor discontent, right? And the Bible is telling us not to be discontent, to, but being content. It's interesting because, remember I said all of these are choices? The word there where it says being content is arkeo, uh, which you don't need to remember that, but what it means is to build a wall. That's where that word comes from. It means to build a wall. So we're going to build a wall of contentment. Now that's not the imagery you normally think of, is it? But when the raiders come, you got a good wall, you go, they can't get in here, I'm good. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about building a wall of contentment. Well, all walls I've ever seen are built out of three things. I'm going to give you two, and I want you to give me the last one. It's, the last one's the tricky one. Let's see if anybody can get it. Any wall builders in the house? All walls are essentially. So there's bricks, and there's mortar, and there's one more. And a mortar concludes the water necessary, and so on like that. Properly mixed mortar and bricks. What's the last one? Labor. Labor. The position of the bricks, the, the putting them where they go, right? It's three ingredients. So we're going to build a wall out of three ingredients. The bricks are solid. They're solid anyway. You're already saved if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come a long way. We're beyond the transition. Salvation is done. You've got the bricks. You belong to Jesus on your way to heaven. Whatever happens now only matters a little. It matters a lot what you choose, but anything that happens to you only matters a little because you know where you're going. Right? So when someone steals from you, does it change who you are? Should it change whether or not you're content or not? stinking got a mansion in heaven. Who cares if they took your 50 bucks? You're going to heaven. Where you not only won't need it, but if you did, if you could sell a mansion in heaven for an amount of money, it would literally be all the money that has ever existed for all time times 10. So you're going to heaven. Somebody steals from you. What's the problem? You're still going to heaven, right? Why are you discontented? The bricks are good. God has given us the bricks are good. The mortar is... Where, how the bricks stick together, right? And we learn those pieces, if you will, from Scripture. We look at what the Bible says about it. So he said, understand, the Lord, you know, we belong to the Lord of Heaven. I'm going to read a few, and I'm going to go fast, and I apologize for those of you who are note-takers because I'm about to make this a little bit difficult. Alright? So here we go. Psalm 46.1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 68.6 God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Psalm 60.11 Oh, give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Psalm 63.7 For thou hast been my help, and in the shadow of thy wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, says verse 8. Thy right hand upholds me. And the list goes on. The psalmist over and over and over again is dwelling on the nature of God to provide for His people. God is faithful. The only real question is, do you understand God's faithfulness? That's the mortar. If you're lacking in trust in God... Then there's no mortar to hold the bricks together. The fact is Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he died on the cross for your sins. The first thing, the first brick in the fortress, the brick in the wall of being okay and content is not believing in Jesus. But you believe in Jesus, and so that ought to put a few bricks in your wall. Now all you got to do is put them together, trust in God. He will show up, he will do his part. He will bring you home. We read the scripture in time and time again. Verses explain to us what that looks like. Paul even goes on to say that he will work together all things for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you don't love God or you aren't called according to his purpose, then you can't claim that promise. But if you do love God and you are called according to his purpose, then God's going to take literally everything that goes wrong and he's going to make it work out for your good in the end. You need to see how the bricks that are God's bricks go together. Remember, we're in the deep transition teaching now. We're beyond the foundation. This is not about whether or not you're saved. You said you're saved. If you're here today and you're not saved, you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in earnest, and professed it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior and God raised Him from the dead, do that right now. Right where Say to the person sitting next to you, Now I, am a, now I believe. Trust. Brick one. And then one after another, those bricks come. As you learn what God has done, as you trust, you look at the witnesses from Hebrews chapter 12. You look at the life of Abraham and David and Noah and Moses and even Adam. And you learn what's right and you learn what's wrong. And the the mortar takes shape. It begins to fill in the gaps and stack and hold the bricks together. And by now, every one of you should be teachers. Remember this? Every one of you should be able to say, Look, I know in whom I walk. I know who takes care of me. Or, as Paul wrote to Timothy, I know in whom I have trusted, and that he is able to keep unto that day that which I have entrusted to him. And then the third piece comes, and there is work to be done. And we read our Bibles, and we pray, and we get in the body, and we practice brotherly love, and we help sustain it. We make it remain, we make it continue. We serve in the body, we suffer in the body. We deliver truth to our neighbors, and to our friends, to our family members because we have become ministers of reconciliation. We do the work, as Peter said, get diligent for crying out loud. Mark out some time to spend with the Lord to better understand how the bricks go together and build a wall of contentment for yourself. We had a Bible study about... uh, About three months ago, two, three months ago, it came out of the book, no, it was less than that. About two months ago came out of the book of Malachi. And we and it says in the book of Malachi at the very end, it talks about how God will reveal how the believers are blessed. He will show in the end day how the believers are blessed and how we're favored of God. And I and it's interesting because it says he will reveal or show it. He'll make it evident, not by doing something that's new. We're already blessed. We're already favored. We already have everything that we need, right? The work is not for that purpose. The work is to align the bricks and the mortar to build a wall of contentment to be okay. If you have a wall of contentment in the world, you're an idiot because you're going to hell. But if you have a wall of contentment in the kingdom, then when something happens to you, somebody punches you, somebody says something to you, whatever, then you have that wall of contentment. You go, it's okay. This all lies. When they're pulling you, how do you think people actually get tortured for Jesus and die to not share the name of who talked to them about Christ? American Christians, people in this room, you guys, something goes wrong, really wrong. I mean it's really bad, you're sick, you're hurting, you know, you're like, we have our lines. Everybody has a line. Some people's lines are pretty far down. I understand they don't quit. It almost nothing would make them quit. But we haven't been put in the chair and had our fingernails pulled out yet. You haven't had batteries attached to battery cables attached to sensitive parts of your body yet. You haven't had to push past AK-47s in the street to come to worship. Most of us were willing to push past a government order which we didn't have to do to be able to come here. Thankfully, we never had one. But people did in America! and we're fussing over, oh, I'm a little extra tired today, I'm running behind, things are chaotic, it's confusing, i got a job that wants to pay me to not be in worship. If you've got a reason to not worship God, to not gather at the Lord's table, you better be 100% sure that that reason comes from God. Otherwise, don't kid yourself, you're in line for wrath. Because the Lord will correct your path because He chastises all those whom He loves. And you're in line to be discontent. Because you're not feeding at the table of the Lord where you belong. So now you're going to be discontented when you don't have the information. The mortar isn't quite right because you didn't get the teaching that you needed to fill it in. Or the bricks don't line up quite right. You start saying to yourself, okay, I'm facing what seems like a fairly major demon here. Or an evil spirit that's speaking to me, saying things. And I have rebuked that demon or evil spirit. And I can't be rid of it. It hasn't left me. But I know that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So how is that fair? God is not doing what God promised he would do. Now what? and you wind up with discontentment over the fact that you can't deal with the problem that you are facing. The very wall that you were commissioned by God to build has holes in it, and you want to blame God for holes in your wall? You're ticked off, upset, frustrated, angry, downtrodden, depressed, struggling. I get it. Life sucks. Bad things happen. Build a stinking wall of contentment. Understand in whom you have trusted and what He is actively doing. He is preparing you for an eternity in heaven. Not for Wednesday feeling better. Not so you can beat your way through the difficulty and go, okay, now I've solved my health concern, finances, relationship, whatever. So you can look back and put a little feather in your cap and go, oh, see, now things are better. That is not contentment. It may be celebration. It may be a feeling of success. It may bring you happiness to know that things are better now than they were last week. But that is not what God is asking you to build, commanding you to build. A wall of contentment is made up of the promises of God sealed together the way that they belong, and it protects you from being frustrated, discontent, upset, or angry. You say, wow, gosh. That isn't right because I've been a Christian for a long time and I've never gotten to the place where I don't get angry when somebody does something stupid. I've never gotten to the place where I don't get frustrated. Yes, the author of Hebrews is calling us to go somewhere further. Is that what you not expected when you came to church today? Did you not expect to be called to go somewhere further in Christ? We're eating at the Lord's table. The food here is pretty good. And it will build you up and it will call you out and it will stop you from being a sissy in the shoes that God has given you and it's time to step up and build the wall that God has given us. This wall of contentment will ensure that in the greatest suffering or difficulty of your life you will still be able to point A let brotherly love remain. Because you know, God's got this. But most of us could not quote seven promises out of the Bible that God has given us. You don't know the names of the bricks or how they go together. Some of us can. And that's pretty cool. But our job is to build a wall of contentment. To know that the Lord is my helper. This wall has a name and a formula. Comes straight out of the text. We are under siege by... Every kind of enemy, the main enemies in the world are the world system, Satan himself, probably most of us won't meet him in our lifetime, evil spirits, and me. Not me for you, but you for you. Check the list. Where will you find your brothers and sisters in Christ on that list? You won't. Also notice, by the way, it's the world system, not the world. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The world system is screwed up. The world will hurt you, the world will steal from you, and they will feel perfectly fine in doing it because if I can trick you to give me money that you should have held on to, then that's your own stupidity. Right? We even have a saying that says, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. No. (laughs) It's not actually true, is it? It's all the enemy. It's the way the world works. They're out there sh- they're fooling people every day, all day life. People in this room that have been fooling the people around them, their family members, friends, myself, whatever, fooling us for weeks, months, years, decades in some cases. And that's not shame on me. If you choose not to follow the Lord and build your own wall of contentment, then you are disrespecting God. You are not walking in those traits that Peter named. It's not profitable to you. And you're going to struggle. You're going to become discontented. And when you become discontented, who knows what you'll do. Rather, the author of Hebrews says this, let your character be free from the love of money, being content, build a wall of contentment with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, in a crazy, boastful, God is too big for you to swallow away, we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what shall man do to you? Let them draw a knife, and see what happens. Let them kill me, and see what happens. I'll go to heaven and praise God for an eternity. While they go to hell and burn for an eternity. Who are you trusting in? If you're trusting in yourself or your family or whatever, if you're busy making sure that other people make you content, you're wasting your time. Defend against the lies. That's not even contentment. Third point. He says, so in everything, and it's, it's found in verses 12 and 13, Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence, let us go out to him outside the gate, I'm sorry, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. This is the unpopular message of Christianity. This will not help you win somebody to Jesus unless they're a sadist, or a masochist, rather, I guess is the right word, unless they want to suffer pain. The reality is Christianity includes going outside the camp and suffering the reproach of Jesus. When somebody is obviously angry with God and they say something mean or nasty to you, and that's the person you really want to talk to. And somebody shouts or belittles you or uses nasty words or whatever, that's the person you really want to talk to. Go outside the gate And bear his reproach. But most people are trying to build their contentment out of avoiding talking to people who don't want to hear. Or hiding out in their houses. Or spending more time on their electronics than serving God. They'll teach Sunday school class, not share the gospel and ask somebody to pray. They'll serve in missions of the church, but not take the time to learn the names of the people that they're serving or ask people to accept Jesus or ask them to come and serve. Because, you know, if they're in the world, they probably don't want to serve anyway. They're probably not yearning to know Jesus. They're probably not aching on the inside with a great big hole. And they probably haven't figured out that they can't fill that hole. Or just maybe they have. Maybe they're at that moment in time where if you just stop and learn their name and say, will you listen to the truth about Jesus? That they are at the moment exactly that they would. But because many of them are not and we are used to fighting the world and its teachings, we do not want to go out and bear the reproach that Jesus bore. By the way, who was it that killed Jesus? Who was it that would not accept Jesus? The very people to whom he was promised. One of the things that has always impressed me is that in the crowd yelling, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus, almost certainly in that crowd, shaking their hands and yelling, crucify Jesus, were people that were blind and he had healed them, were paralyzed and he had healed them, were lepers and he had healed them. And though he had healed them, he, they stood there and shouted, crucify him, crucify him, even though... Two years before, they couldn't walk, and now they could. And they yelled, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" Because they didn't want to go out outside the gate and bear his reproach. Peter sneaking—he didn't want to leave Jesus alone, but he wanted to get as close as so he could to know what was going on. But he said, "No, I'm not with the man. I tell you, I swear, I'm not with him." Because they didn't want to bear his reproach. This is the part of Christianity that nobody likes. you sitting at the table, baby. You're going to eat or not. Go outside the gate at every opportunity and bear the reproach. If somebody says, I don't like the way you act, it better be because you're acting for Jesus and they don't like the way people act for Jesus. If they don't like the way you act, then you're just pushing them away from hearing about Jesus if it's because of your mean streak or because of your lineage, or because of things that have happened to you in the past, because they hit your trigger or whatever, if that's why they don't like the way you act then you're bearing your own reproach. You deserve what you get. But if it's because you're speaking out for Jesus, it's because you bring your Bible to work or to school, or because it's there, you're wearing a Christian t-shirt all the time. You're talking to people about Jesus wherever you go, and you've always got a word to say, but you're not very good at saying it. And that's why people don't like you, then you're bearing the reproach of Jesus, and that is exactly what you need to do. And by the way, this is when that happens. When you know where the bricks are, and the mortar is in place, and the wall has been built, and you are content, and you know that not only only your salvation in heaven was set for you by Jesus. Not only your lordship on this earth. Not only have you been healed by Jesus in every way. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, and psychologically. Not only has that happened. But there ain't no way in hell you'd ever turn your back on the one who died for you. And then you can only bear his reproach. Because that's all that's left. And you'll do that from the day that you realize that. And build your wall of contentment to the day you walk into heaven. Someone may want to abuse you because you look differently than they do. Someone may want to abuse you because you have different resources than they do. Someone may want to abuse you because you talk differently than they do. And if they do that, that's part of suffering in the world and it's for real. As soon as you possibly can, bring in the name of Jesus so that at least you're suffering for Jesus, not for their stupidity. Many years ago now, we're coming to the conclusion, many years ago now, we had a conflict at a softball game. I was coaching softball for East Salido at the time, and there was a brother there. We had a disagreement about how ministry should be done. It didn't actually have anything to do with softball. It was something to do with the church, but it was a church softball team. We had a disagreement. And the brother got mad at me, and he began to say, let's just be realistic, mean and hurtful things to me. And it was funny. I wasn't prepared. I I didn't know that I was denying myself or taking up my cross. I didn't know that it was like that. But as he was saying things, all I could think of was how I wanted to help him to understand what God wanted us to see in that situation. That's all I could think of. And I wanted to see it, and I wasn't seeing it clearly, but I knew he could help me see it. And so all I could see as he's yelling at me was us coming to a conclusion about what God really desired from us. Finally, he said some hurtful things. I think he uh, maybe threw a couple cuss words in there, talked about hell, uh, and whatever, and began to storm away. And I said, brother, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and I believe yours as well, get your butt back here. We're going to solve this right now. He took about five more steps and he finally stopped and he turned around and He came back to me. And he said, fine, we'll talk it out. And, we, and he was still a little bit belligerent. And, and I was still probing and I was fe- taking a pretty strong stance and ultimately we worked it out. Two months later, this is what he said to me, two months later, we we're in the same church, we're worshiping alongside each other, sitting in nearby pews. He's serving God there, I'm serving God there. His kid was in the youth group. And said, so I got to tell you, if you had not brought the name of Jesus into it, I would have walked away and you never would have seen me again. I'd have left the church I'd have taken my kid and left the church. I was a youth director there. He said, we would have never been back. But when you brought the name of Jesus into it, I realized I love Jesus. And I may have some things wrong in my life. But the fact is, I know who my Lord is. And I knew we had to work it out. Conflict. It's always going to exist. It does not give you the right. Nor does it in any way teach against. Menno, Philadelphia Menno. Or contentment, you need to build your wall of contentment. Nor does it allow you to say, I'm going to hide in here instead of going out there and suffering with Jesus. Now notice that this pretty well sums up the message of Hebrews then because there's verses left in this chapter, but they're largely the benediction and he's basically saying, we're done. The author of Hebrews, who may have been female, is basically saying, we're done talk a little bit about the sacrifice of praise and what that's like. Uh, Pray for us, he says. Verse 18, we stopped in 17. Pray for us and then now the God of peace and but I urge you brethren, grace be with you all. So you start out going, you can't get beyond this transition unless you are not dull of hearing, unless you are not walking away and walking out of the way because you need God's help to do that. You get the foundational teachings. Then the author of Hebrew says, okay, now we're going to set the foundational, we're not going to set them aside and ignore them, but we're going to set those there as a measuring stick. They're going to, they're going to be our foundation. And everything we build on that then has to line up with those. And you end with, Menno, Philadelphia, Menno. Let brotherly love continue. Be diligent, work hard at it. Care about the other person in the church. Archeo, contentment. Build your wall of contentment out of the bricks that God gives us and the mortar of his promises and understanding who he is and the labor that you put in, you will build that wall and you'll be fine. And then in everything, come out and Jesus said it this way. He said, if you would be my followers, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow after me. And they knew when he said take up your cross daily that he meant be willing to die on the cross. Because people were killed on the cross back then for any transgressions against government that were severe enough. And every one of the disciples, if they had been known that night, could have well been crucified. They had every opportunity to be crucified and they were ready to be physically crucified. You need to be ready to suffer. We're strangers here. Sometimes strange things happen. But we're a New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church, and we're supposed to be reaching New Heights in Jesus. According to the author of Hebrews, you should already be able to teach by now. And in teaching, never forget to take care of strangers and all of that. But Menno, Philadelphia Menno, our O contentment build contentment like a wall. And go outside the camp and suffer with Jesus. You don't like it? It may be just a little bit too strong to say that he doesn't care. How about if we say this? You don't like it? Neither does he. But that's the way it works. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, help us to see. Help us to hear the voice of truth. And us to be your people. Bond together. Eating from your table. Sacrificing our human flesh self-wants so that others can have the need. Working to build one another up and building our wall of contentment so that we can be okay in Christ (coughs) when things turn bad. Let us, instead of dropping the ball, instead of letting brotherly love die. Let us hear your command to pit ourselves to the task. Water the empty pot, plant the necessary seeds, to nurture and prune when necessary, and to ensure, as much as it depends upon us, that that brotherly, sisterly church, godly kingdom, same table, love. That you began in us. That you miraculously functioned when we all became your children and part of your spiritual family here. That that love continues and even flourishes, Lord. We can see it in its beautiful flowering fruit as we stand together outside the gate under the reproach that was due Jesus. And now, as his followers, as his heirs and joint heirs, let's do us. Help us, Lord, to be the church. The church that you began, that you bought. That you can blend together and make an incredible temple for your Holy Spirit. And praise you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you said, while well, I was teaching, you know, it's hard for me to understand this, it's hard for me to be ready to do this or to live accordingly. Um, maybe that's because you're realizing that you really never surrendered your life to the Lord. You want to do that now you say, I want to live for Jesus. Not for me, but for somebody's idea of what I'm supposed to be like. I want to live for Jesus. He died for me and I want to live for him. Would you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, because he's in charge of your life, Savior, because he made the price for your sin? I believe in your heart that He do those things and that God raised you from the dead and now confess with your mouth. As we go to sing a song, you'll respond and you'll walk forward to the front of the room or stand up where you are and get high friends. i speak from there or it's more comfortable for, me, for you. Or maybe you're here today and you say, I, I hear this message and I realize I have not loved. I realize this kind of love takes a major sacrifice on my part, and I'm going to really have to surrender to God in order for Him to be able to multiply me so that I can love people the way I'm supposed to. That I can turn away from the world's distractions and temptations, my own hurt and sorrow, my own pain, I love these people. You may think that you're the weakest person in the room when in reality you're actually the strongest in whatever area it is that question. Would you now submit and say, okay, God, I want to love these people the way I'm supposed to I want to be the kind of Christian I'm supposed to be. Would you beg God to help you, give you the strength and the wisdom to build up your wall of contentment so that when things go wrong, you're already ready. To deal with those things, when the raiders come, you say they're out there; they can't get in here at me because I've got a wall of contentment. That God provided the bricks and the mortar, and He and I built. But you commit yourself to that today. It's a journey. You say I might not get there a lot through this lifetime. Now yeah, you might not. There might be holes in your wall the whole time. But God's got the answers. He's got the bricks. He's willing to give the mortar. All you gotta do is just start building now. And even a holy wall protects everywhere there isn't a hole. You can be content more and more and more. Will you unleash yourself? Stop with being drugged this way and that. And build your wall of contentment. The way God has called us to understand this, this is a deeper and more challenging teaching. Because you can't be saved by your own strength. But the author of Hebrews is calling us to participate in letting brotherly love continue, building our wall of contentment. You need to participate in those things. And then come outside the gate. I hope I, I hope I can say, come outside the gate with me. And let's go tell people. And some people in your life. And let's, not, let's let them not like it. Let's not fuss over the fact that they don't like it. And keep hunting for people that do. People that God has called. People will be saved. i praise team to come forward at this time. We're going to sing a closing hymn. This is also a hymn of invitation. So it's the opportunity to make a decision for Christ today. If I did not miss your decision, don't you let that hold you back. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and asking you to do something in particular. you do what he asks you to do. He's way more important than I am. Like I'm not even on the same scale. So it's more important that you do what God would have you do here today. Okay? And would you stand if you're comfortable and able to do so? And then sing this song with us and then respond if the Lord is asking you to do so as we've closed out this sermon series. Oh, okay. That's it then. That wraps up 200 podcasts on the New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo podcasting. Uh, Thank you for using Podcast Garden or getting our podcast wherever you use uh, podcasts. And we'd like you to subscribe. We'd like you to share this information around. We really would like to see this this message, the messages of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church and the worship of, of our God in heaven. Uh, get out to anyone and everyone who would like to listen. Thank you so much for your time commitment. I hope you have grown as you've listened to these podcasts. Uh, If you have not heard all the sermons in the Transitional Foundation Podcast Sermon Series, uh, I would ask maybe that you would consider go back and listen to the ones that you missed. And back a long time back now, four years ago, you can listen to sermons from the Southside Life Station services. During the pandemic, we've not been able to have our services there. Um, but we've been delivering food citywide. We need a little help financially. We definitely could use some volunteers. definitely need a lot of prayer. And so just consider how you might reach out and, and help your neighbor, help us through these uh, ministry arms. Um, we do have the opportunity to receive some mission teams. So if you're with a church somewhere else uh, in the U.S. or even across the world and you'd like to bring a mission team to Life Station to stay and work, Um, if you'd like to volunteer to take deliveries, if you know someone who's in need of food in the Toledo area, any of those things are possible. You can give via our website. You can give by texting LSGIVE. That's going to go to Lifestation, LSGIVE, to 419-419-0095, or you can give to New Heights directly by texting GIVE to 419-419-0095. You can also mail checks to P.O. Box 962. Uh, Toledo, Ohio 43697 and direct them either to New Heights or to the live station. And we sure appreciate you tuning in. We sure appreciate you promoting the podcast. And the most important thing, of course, is that we all reach New Heights in Jesus and realize that love is for everyone and you and I can make a difference. Beginning right now in this very moment. God bless you as you serve Jesus and reach New Heights.